I uh, want to say one thing. These guys are pretty serious players in our industry. Uh, we provide links from this website to their websites. Take a look at what Trace Meyer has to say uh, at his website, rundogold.com. Welcome back to episode 76 of the rundogold.com podcast. Uh, last week, I wrote an article and uh, mentioned the sacrosanct socio new look at Abraham Lincoln, his agenda, and an unnecessary war, and also the book Lincoln Unmasked, What You're Not Supposed to Know About Dishonest Abe. So when we're talking about this, uh, this great, revered uh, American president, what are some of the, the things that are hidden about him? What, what are these things that we're not supposed to know about uh, President Lincoln? Well, uh, one of the things you're not supposed to know is what he said in his first inaugural address where he pledged his support for a constitutional amendment that would have prohibited the federal government from ever interfering with slavery. And so in his first inaugural, he was uh, satisfied with enshrining slavery in the Constitution uh, explicitly. It had never been explicitly in the Constitution. And in that same speech, he threatened a war over tax collection. He said, it is my duty to collect the duties and imposts, which is tariffs. Uh, but beyond that, there'd be no invasion of any state. So he literally threatened a war and carried out his threat, of course, uh, by invading the southern states over tax collection. And uh, that's, But that's not taught in school. That's one thing. Uh, he uh, illegally suspended the writ of habeas corpus and imprisoned uh, tens of thousands of northern civilians. He uh, shut down over 300 opposition newspapers. He deported uh, an outspoken Democratic Party member of Congress named Clement Belandigan from Ohio, and he uh, confiscated firearms in the states in violation of the Second Amendment, and he basically started the war without the permission of Congress. And so uh, that's why some historians call uh, Lincoln a, a dictator, but they say he was a, a good dictator. Oh, yeah, because they're apologizing perhaps for having a strong uh, federal government uh, and violating some of the, perhaps the Tenth Amendment and a lot of those things. So when we're looking at Lincoln and his, uh, th- you know, y- you kind of started with these gross uh, violations of private property rights. Really, the Civil War was about collecting taxes, you could say. It didn't have anything to do with slavery. Well, it, it had something to do with slavery because uh, the Lincoln and the Republican Party opposed only the extension of slavery into the new territories. They never opposed Southern slavery. In fact, as I just uh, mentioned, Lincoln uh, promised an ironclad constitutional protection of slavery. And of course, uh, slavery was already protected by the Constitution. The Southern states did not have to secede to protect slavery. It was already uh, constitutional. There were no challenges, uh, you know, in the courts to slavery. Uh, and I wish there were. I wish we could have ended it peacefully, uh, like all the other countries of the world did at the time, but we did not. And so. Uh, uh, the, the basic cause of the war, though, was that uh, the southern states thought that they were sovereign and they had a right to be in the Union or not be in the Union. Uh, Lincoln was the first American president ever to take the position that the federal government had a right to literally invade, wage war on his own country uh, to stop them from, from seceding. Uh, you know, the New England Federalists threatened to secede in the, in the early part of the 19th century, they even held a convention uh, in Hartford, Connecticut, in the year 1814, to, to uh, vote up or down on secession, and uh, they and there was little discussion about whether it was illegal or not. They all just about everyone assumed it certainly was legal because the states were sovereign, and so that's really what the war was about. You know, are the states sovereign or is the government of Washington the master of us all? 
and uh, and and that's of course when the North won the war to prove that uh, the government of Washington is our our master and no longer our servant. Yeah, and uh, I mean it was a very accepted uh, doctrine that the states had the right to secede uh, back then. You know, especially uh, I guess Lysander Spooner was one of the people that argued quite a bit in favor of these states' rights because how else can you have a government? Uh, that governs with the consent of the governed unless the people have the right to leave, or the states in this case. That's right. Uh, all you have to do to convince yourself of that is to read Article 7 of the U.S. Constitution, which says that the Constitution will be ratified by nine of the 13 states at the time. It didn't say the U.S. government will ratify the states. It said the states will ratify the Constitution, granting delegated powers to the U.S. government, and those powers were supposed to be used for the benefit of the people of the states. Uh, the original system was that if the people were ever to be in charge or sovereign in control of their own government, the way in which they would do it would be through political communities organized at the state and local level. That's how we were supposed to be the masters rather than the servants of our own government, our own central government. And, uh, and that was understood by everybody. Like I said, there was a movement federalist uh, talked about secession. There was a secession movement in the middle Atlantic states in the 1850s, and even some of the famous uh, abolitionists of the North uh, proposed uh, that New England secede from the South because they did not want to be a part of uh, a country that still had slavery. Although I think, you know, we need to keep in mind that there were still slaves in New York City as late as 1853. So, uh, and that's not too far off from the uh, Civil War era. Yeah, so when we look at when we look at Lincoln, it appears that ironically he extended slavery uh to all people in the Americas uh instead of actually abolishing it. And in his erosion of these uh essential checks and balances in the political machinery that we've been talking about, uh you hit on it in the beginning. Uh his gross violations of the great writ, the writ of habeas corpus. Can you explain a little bit about what the writ of habeas corpus is and then delve into what he did with uh, his interference with the federal courts and also with uh, ex parte Milligan? Uh, well, it's the, uh, it's the one thing in the Constitution that guarantees our personal liberty. And whenever the government accuses us of a crime, we have a right to due process. We have a right to confront our accusers. We have a right to a speedy trial uh, by a, a jury of our peers and so forth. So that the, but uh, when Lincoln lifted that, he had the army, uh, you know, literally break down the doors of houses of people and drag them off into some dungeon somewhere in a, uh, in a gulag. And, and there were tens of thousands of people. That, and it included the mayor of Baltimore, uh, the grandson of Francis Scott Key, who wrote the Star-Spangled Banner. He was a newspaper editor was opposing all of this, uh, and, uh, and a lot of prominent citizens. These weren't spies. These weren't Confederate spies. They were just northern citizens who were criticizing the Lincoln administration, and, uh, and they were imprisoned by the tens of thousands. And, uh, and so uh, and, and as far as ex parte Milligan goes, after the Civil War in 1866, Lincoln is dead. The Supreme Court finally had, had a great uh, ruling that where they said, that uh, it was illegal for either Lincoln or the Congress to have suspended habeas corpus as long as the civil courts were operating in the North, which they were. And they said that it is, it is especially during wartime that we need to guard our civil liberties and our constitutional liberties because that's when they are most threatened, I mean, when there's some kind of emergency. And so they took the exact opposite tack of what Lincoln himself said, essentially 
suspending uh, the Constitution. They said it's, it's most important during an emergency like war to protect the Constitution. And, uh, and I think that's, that's one of the, the finest statements ever made by a Supreme Court in terms of constitutional liberty. Yeah, so you had Lincoln, and I think, what was his argument? He said, you know, if we have to cut off the arm to save the body, then it's, uh, then it's good. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> so, so the Supreme Court uh, battled with Lincoln over the great writ of habeas corpus. And what is this about Lincoln issuing an arrest warrant for, this, for the, the uh, chief justice? Yes, in my book, Lincoln Unmasked, I read about how Lincoln, uh, the chief justice of the United States, Roger B. Taney, uh issued a, an opinion that uh, Lincoln's suspension of habeas corpus was illegal because uh, the government can do it, but Congress has to do it. And uh, Lincoln responded by issuing an arrest warrant for Taney. And I cite uh, several uh, impeachable sources on that, uh, including uh, a, a former Supreme Court justice, uh, among other people. And so he, he did that. It's, it's really an act of tyranny. It's an attack on the separation of powers. And I also uh, documented in my book, Lincoln Unmasked, that uh, Lincoln also sent soldiers to arrest other federal judges, not just uh, Tommy, but other judges who were about to issue writs of habeas corpus, that, that is, that would give people accused of uh, a crime uh, their day in court. And so uh, this was not just an intimidation of Roger B. Taney. It was an intimidation of a lot of other federal judges as well that went on during the Lincoln administration. Oh, yeah, because he would actually station troops outside of their homes to prevent them from going to meet in session, right? Yes, that's what happened. I, I got out of the archive, the National Archives, a, a letter from a federal judge explaining to his fellow federal judges why he did not show up in court that day. He said he got home, and his home was surrounded by armed soldiers who kept him, essentially kidnapped him in, in his own home, and kept him from going to court to issue uh, the writ of habeas corpus. And I have to believe that that was not the lone incident uh, of that sort. And Lincoln essentially redefined treason uh, to mean anyone who disagreed with him. So if you read Article 3, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution, which defines treason, it's, it says, waging war against the states or giving aid and comfort to their enemy. And so literally, Lincoln's invasion of the southern states was the very definition of treason under the U.S. Constitution. Just read, anyone can read Article 3, Section 3, and you'll know that I'm right about this. And so uh, it's kind of like uh, terrorism. When I was in law school, I took a counterterrorism class, and of course we can't define it, and it seems to be terrorism is uh, anything that opposes me. And so Lincoln, who was engaged in... Uh, perhaps the bloodiest uh, episode of terrorism in the United States. Uh, he did it definitely in violation of the Constitution, and it's great that you've done a lot of the research on these things to expose a little bit of the revisionist history uh, surrounding uh, this historical figure, because it, it appears that every country loves their dictators. You know, you've got Stalin, and he's pickled, and you've got Mao, and he's pickled. And last time I was in Beijing, you know, you had lines of people uh, to go and, and see uh, Chairman Mao, who, uh, like Lincoln, uh, you know, definitely increased the per capita GDP by reducing the denominator. So, uh, we see the same thing with Lincoln. We have this giant Lincoln Memorial in D.C. Uh, to this to this person who really uh, didn't do uh, very nice things to the people of the United States. Uh, yeah, well, one 
one of the things that Americans don't know either is that all the other countries of the world that ended slavery did it peacefully, and that includes the northern states. There were no wars of emancipation in Pennsylvania or Illinois or Massachusetts. Everyone in the world found a way pragmatically to get rid of slavery uh, without mass murder and mass killing. Uh, you know, there were over 650,000 people died, including some 50,000 uh, southern civilians during the, uh, the Civil War. And that, that's, if you standardize for today's population, that would be the equivalent of over 6 million Americans dying today in four years. And uh, if, you, if you put it that way, you know, why didn't we end slavery peacefully? Well, the, reason, the main reason is the war wasn't about ending slavery. I don't think you'd find a historian who would tell you that Lincoln invaded to free the slaves. Uh, he didn't. He, he very clearly said, in fact, that his purpose was to save the Union, not to do anything about the slaves. Although, of course, I argue that he actually destroyed the voluntary union of the founding fathers and replaced it with a Soviet-style uh, uh, mandatory union. Well, thank you very much. This has been an enlightening interview, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back again on uh, the RunToGold.com podcast, perhaps to discuss Alexander Hamilton. This is John Rubino from DollarCollapse.com, and you're listening to Run to Gold.